if the um, Rancho 3M ministry is new to you, if you're not familiar with it, um, it's a ministry that we've been involved in for many years. I was just able to be there a couple of weeks ago. And um, I just encourage you to get online and Google Rancho 3M. They are doing a wonderful job rescuing, training, discipling, and caring for at-risk and orphan children. And there's about, so there's about 35 or 40 kids that live there on the ranch, but they have a school that reaches uh, 180 kids altogether from this valley that's uh, the Guadalupe Valley that is really just, it's a very poor area and they're providing a wonderful education. And um, so you can find out more information. And if you'd like to get involved supporting one of those students, you can find out about that through their website as well. So please be praying for our team as they as they go. So this morning, Romans 13, uh, verses 1 through 7, Linda Green is going to be reading for us. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Thanks, Linda. So the main point of today's message is pay your taxes, (laughs) right? And we'd like to thank the sponsor for today's sermon, the Internal Revenue Service, for providing this. It's just coincidence that it's April 7th and this particular passage happens to come up here. And and we do want to pray. We need God's help. So let's pray. Father, as I stand here before these people, you know that, that my desires for what happens next greatly exceed my abilities. But thank you that your abilities are infinite. And I pray for your presence and your help now. There are words enough here to spark a revolution. A revolution of the kingdom of God. Bring that revolution into our thinking, into our acts, into our lives. And I pray that somehow, before we leave this building today, every person here would catch a glimpse of Jesus Christ and be dazzled by his glory. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
I know that sometimes people think the Bible has nothing to say to a modern culture like ours. It's an ancient book, or maybe it's a book that just speaks to sort of private matters, religious matters, matters that are just sort of stuck into Sunday morning, but it doesn't really have anything to do with the important things of life. The truth is really quite different from that. The Bible speaks into every place and every time. And I want to just illustrate this morning through a story. It's actually a sad and tragic story, but I want you to see how the Bible connects with real life. In 1926 in Withville, Virginia, there was a lynching. A man named Raymond Byrd, who was 31 years old, an African-American, a veteran of World War I, um, was killed. Here's the story as it's recorded in the Withville paper. The paper writes, Raymond Byrd Colored, who was in Withville jail, charged with a statutory offense against a white woman, pending a hearing, was killed Saturday night between 1 and 2 o'clock by a mob of possibly 50 persons. The Negro was shot in his cell and the body taken away by the mob. The body was left hanging to a tree about one mile west of the St. Paul's Church. Now, what does the Bible have to say to that? Does the Bible have anything to speak to that situation? As I was reflecting on that this week, it occurred to me that actually three sermons in a row here speak directly to that situation. Two weeks ago, we heard from Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And yet this mob disobeyed that command and took revenge on their own. Last Sunday, we heard from Matthew chapter 7, Judge not that you be not judged. But this mob violated that command. This mob became judge, jury, and executioner of a man who may well have been innocent. This morning, we hear these words, Submit to the governing authorities. But this mob didn't submit to the judges and the juries of Withville, they became vigilantes and took justice into their own hands. And so Romans 13, 1 to 7 speaks. It speaks into Withville in 1926 and it speaks to us here today. It raises this question. Here's the question before us this morning. What is the responsibility of a citizen to the governing authorities? How are Christians to relate to the state? speaks to every one of us because we all live in a particular place and time with governing authorities. So the simple but powerful claim in this passage is this. Be honorable citizens. Be honorable citizens. Now we ask how. How do we do that? We are honorable citizens by submitting to the governing authorities in a way that honors God. I want you to hear that. We are honorable citizens by submitting to governing authorities in a way that honors God. That's the main point of the message today. Submit to the governing authorities in a way that honors God. So this morning we're just going to walk through and we're going to look at this claim, the reasons for it, the practice of it, and the limits of it. So here's the claim right here in the beginning. Some, some passages are more 
direct and, and in a sense easier to grasp the main point than others. And this one's pretty straightforward. Look at chapter 13 and verse 1 of Paul's letter to the Romans. He makes his point very clear. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So, Christian, what is your responsibility to the state? Here's your answer. Be an honorable, responsible citizen. Be subject to the governing authorities and do it in a way that honors God. I want you to think about this. As the Holy Spirit is inspiring the Apostle Paul to write this letter to this Christian church that's in Rome, he writes in a particular way here. He singles out each hearer of that church and of this one here this morning as well. Look how it starts. Let every person, let each one of you. It's written in the second person singular. Okay, this is something that we might do together, but there's a claim from God on each one of us. Now, the way this passage starts is very important for a couple of reasons. First, it signals to us this is not a discussion about the relationship between church and state. That's an important question, but that's not what this passage is about. Second, notice who's being addressed here. These are not instructions from God to people who happen to be perhaps judges or police officers or emperors. These are instructions from God to individual Christians like you and me, and they tell us how to relate to our government, be subject to the governing authorities. The Greek words there for governing authorities are literally authorities with higher authority. Okay, so these are people who have some sphere of authority, right? And that's how governing authorities work. You might think of the people that you encounter who have governing authority, judges, border patrol agents, Senators, school board members. Now, God says something surprising about these people. Did you catch this? There's something really unexpected in this passage. He says these people are God's servants. Did you catch that? He says that right here in verse 4. He says he is, this governing official is, God's servant for good. Second time, the servant of God in verse 4. Verse 6, these are ministers of God. So here's the question. Where do you look today to find God's servants? Where do you look today to find God's ministers? Do you know that when you see those blue lights behind you, (laughs) sitting in the driver's seat of that state trooper's car is God's minister. Do you know that? Probably not the first thing that comes to mind, is it? Do you know that person standing across the counter from you after the two-hour wait at the DMV? Do you know who that person is? That is God's servant. Hear God's word to us. Stop and think about this. The gospel reaches into every part of our lives. And it opens our eyes to see God has not abandoned the world God is working in unexpected ways through unexpected people, including governing authorities. This is called common grace. 
God extends his love to the world by raising up governments. Now, this doesn't mean that every governing official is right in all they do or nice in how they do it. It does mean, listen, this is so vital. It does mean that government in a fallen world is a blessing from God. What's the alternative? Can you imagine a world, a society with no government? What's that called? It's anarchy. Government is a blessing from God intended to preserve order, to restrain evil, to promote justice. And brothers and sisters, God's claim, the Bible isn't just a book of information. The Bible is a persuasive book. It's a persuasive speech from a living God. And God wants to persuade us this morning. He is laying claim to something in our lives this morning. And that is the way we relate to governing authorities. He wants us to be subject to the governing authorities, not just the ones you like and agree with. That's where it gets hard, doesn't it? I want you to remember, the guy who's writing this letter, he's writing when the Roman Empire was in charge, right? This guy suffered at the hands of Roman authorities. This guy who's writing, he knows full well that his Lord, Jesus, was crucified by Roman governing authority. He's not naive. He knows what's going on here. But God calls each believer here to active obedience. We are called to be conscientious, respectable, respectful, honorable citizens. A couple weeks ago, we heard from Romans 12, 1 and 2, not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. What will we look like if we're conformed to the world and how we think about governments and politics? Well, that's not too hard to figure out, is it? You can fall off on the one end of being too trusting, but more likely the common thread today is ranting about government, raging about government, or cheating on taxes, or only doing what's right when you're afraid of getting caught, or speaking with nastiness about whomever you happen to disagree with. Well, the conservatives this, or the progressives that, or the right this, or the left that, or the Republicans this, or the Democrats that. That's the air we breathe today. And the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks right into that and says, don't be conformed to that image, but be transformed in your approach to government. Honor God by being honorable citizens. Now, this should raise all kinds of questions for us. Does this mean Christians always in every situation do whatever the government tells us to? No, it does not. I'll deal with that more at the last point of the message. But I want us to hear the claim before we get to the limits and the exception. The claim is to be honorable citizens, be subject to the governing authorities in a way that honors God. Why? Why? Well, here's the reason. The simple reason is God authorizes human governments. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for... I'm going to give you the reason now for, here's the ground, here's the basis for it. There is no authority except from God. Governments are intended to avoid anarchy, right? 
You know what anarchy looks like? Got a bunch of little kids at home. You already know. That's all I have to say, isn't it? You go out to the mailbox. There's a neighbor out there. You end up talking longer than you planned. What happens when you come back in the house? Little girls over here coloring on the wall with Sharpies. The other little girl's got the training potty seat over her shoulders and around her head because her big brother left it there as a gift. The big brother's got the bow and arrow. He's out in the backyard, and the cat's missing. <laughs> like, you know what anarchy looks like, right? You know how this works. Listen, the first anti-government act was when Adam and Eve rebelled against the only governing authority in paradise, God's authority. And yet, God shows his love, his common grace for a fallen and rebellious world by providing for governments that at their best promote order and a peaceful society. They never do this perfectly, do they? How could they? Their governance, governments in a fallen world made up of fallen people. For the perfect government, we await the return of King Jesus and the government that's on his shoulders. Paul is not naive about the realities and the corruptions and the failures of human governments. And he's actually not saying anything new. Way back in Daniel, the prophet Daniel, who lived in Babylon, pagan empire. You know what Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar? Listen to what he says. He says, the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Jesus is engaged by the Roman authority in Jerusalem, Pilate. He's being threatened with crucifixion. Pilate says, do you not know that I have authority to release you? Hear the words, authority to release you and authority to crucify you. Ponder this moment. This puny Roman governing official is standing in front of the king of kings. The very one who's holding his life together by the word of his power. He says, don't you know that I have authority over you? You know what the king of kings says? You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Human government is invested with divine authority. And we learn here, they are commissioned by God and commissioned to, to reward good and punish evil. Listen to verses 3 and 4. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what's good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath, on the wrongdoer. Now, the language of good and evil, of wrath and judgment, 
assumes here that human governments are intended to align themselves with God's standards for good and bad, for right and wrong. And this is a, this is a compelling reason to teach the Ten Commandments. Basic framework for right and wrong, good and evil that God gives to us. Human governments, we're told here, in particular, bear the sword. What does that mean? Well, it means that human governments have the power and the authority to enforce justice. They carry out, we're told here, God's wrath on wrongdoers. You know, every society desperately needs police and child protective services and intelligence agencies and state departments and tax assessors. And and seated here this morning... Many of you serve in these capacities. And it would be good to just pause this morning and say, thank you for what you do. And just to encourage you, you are serving as God's servant in what you're doing. And we thank God for you. Human governments are designed to reward good and punish evil. Now, the punishing evil part usually comes easier than the rewarding good part, doesn't it? It's like that in life, too. It's usually easier to criticize than to encourage, isn't it? So we have practices that we find governments engage in. So, for example, in the military, medals are given to encourage good behavior, courage, courageous behavior. I recently went to the funeral of a kind of a second cousin, this dear sweet lady, Laura Bell Wallace, distant relative, lived in, lived in Indiana. She was an English teacher in high school for 40 years. She never did anything spectacular, but she was, she was a great teacher. And she taught generations of students. And they have this neat practice in Indiana where the, gover- the governor of the state finds citizens who have done good things, and they get this award. It's called Sagamore of the Wabash. It's after a Native American tribe that uh, lived there in Indiana. And the idea of the award is to just give regular old citizens who are doing great things a thank you and, and to honor and encourage them for doing good. So I don't have a picture of Laura Bell's uh, certificate here, but I've, I got to see her certificate when I was at her funeral, and I thought this was really cool. This is a governor doing what Romans 13 is talking about. He's rewarding and encouraging good behavior. Well, this is what govern, governments are intended to do. Now, here's the challenge for all of us, going back to Adam and Eve for a moment. If Adam and Eve living in paradise with the perfect government ruling over them, God, if they couldn't submit to that authority, what hope do we have today carrying around in us seeds of rebellion and serving imperfect governments? What an argument for the gospel. What an argument for a transforming work by God. We need new hearts in Christ We need new power in the Holy Spirit. We need a new perspective on government that we can't get from the world around us. It comes from God's word. And the gospel of Jesus Christ 
provides these things so that we can be honorable citizens, submitting to governing authorities, not just complaining and grumbling all the way, but actually being transformed to want to live this way in a way that honors God and away from the heart. So the reason we subject ourselves to governing authorities is because they're authorized by God. Now, what's it look like? How's it work out? What's the practice? Well, simply give each what is due to them. Let me read verses 6 and 7. For the same reason you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Did you notice the money theme here? Right? It's, it's not easy to pay taxes, is it? It's not fun to pay taxes. Don't you love paying taxes? Don't you love tax time? Don't you love that yearly tax you get to pay for having your car? Not for buying a car. You know, you buy something new, you pay tax on it. No, the yearly tax you get to pay just to keep the car that you already had and already paid taxes on to get. Don't you love that? Pay taxes to whom taxes are due. There's a financial theme here. I wonder why. Because nobody likes paying taxes. And Rome was famous for outrageous amounts of taxation. Christians are called to be people who give what is owed to those to whom it is owed. So we don't cheat on our taxes. We, we do what Paul learned, I'm sure, from what Jesus taught. Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And they marveled when he said this. So rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's doesn't mean, well, there's kind of these two spheres of life. And so there's the, there's the secular sphere and there's the religious sphere. And so Caesar gets this part of me and God gets this part of me. No, that's, that's not how it works. No, God is over all things. Right? But he authorizes governments and then he instructs his people to be honorable citizens in those governing systems. When we say Jesus is Lord, we're making a political statement. Those were fighting words in the Roman Empire. Caesar is Lord. No, he's not. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the ultimate authority. 1 Corinthians 15 27. God has put all things in subjection under his feet. All things include governing authorities. So when we know that, it can change our attitude in how we relate to the governing authorities. Even paying taxes, so it's not just cough it up. It's show respect and honor to God's servants, right? And that's not easy to do, is it? I don't find that easy to do. You know, we've got people tweeting about politicians being weasels and clowns. We've got legislators dropping F-bombs. We've got cable networks that are blasting away daily at opposing views. And we've got a God who says, don't be conformed to that way of thinking. Honor God in your attitude toward your government. It's pretty practical here, doesn't it? So maybe just pause for a moment. Think about what you've said in the last week 
about politicians, governing officials. Or maybe what you've thought, you knew you shouldn't say, but you thought it anyway. Happens to me a lot. And I'm not just talking about politicians in general. I'm talking about the ones you really disagree with, you really don't like. And I want to ask you to ask yourself this morning, let the Holy Spirit work here. How close are you to the attitude God is calling us to? Honor to whom honor is due. Respect to whom respect is due. You know, when the governing officials in Jerusalem told Jesus' disciples that they couldn't talk about Jesus anymore, they refused to obey that command. But they did it with respect. Listen to what they say. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That is humble defiance. That is respectful disobedience. That's the attitude God calls us to in every situation and in every encounter with governing authorities. Now, earlier I said this command does not mean that Christians always, in every situation, do whatever the government requires. So let's close by looking at the limits of this claim. We've looked at the claim. We've looked at the reason for the claim. We've looked at the practice of the claim. Now we're going to look at the limits. We have said repeatedly already this morning, above This higher authority of the government is the highest authority, God. All things are in subjection to him. And so, that again is a political statement. If Jesus is Lord, that means we owe our allegiance to him. God is at work bringing about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name in all nations. And that means that there will be limits on what human governments can ask of Christians. Let me just walk you through this in, in four simple steps. First, generally, we're to obey governing authorities because they have their authority from God. We've talked about that already. Second, sometimes governing authorities disobey or fail to enforce their own laws, and we are right to hold governing authorities to account, to make them accountable for their own laws and standards. So, for example, in this church, in the early days of this church, before we had this nice, wonderful building here, this church met in schools, and the Fairfax County public school system had a system of charging rents where they charged more to churches than they did to other organizations. And People here said, hey, that's unconstitutional. That's violating the law of the land. And so this church sued the county and won. And so that nice basement that we have downstairs was built out through sort of this enforced savings program for a number of years, extra money going in and then, and then later come, coming back. So that was an example of, of holding the authorities to account for their own rules and laws. This lynching that I spoke of earlier this morning, You know, part of the tragedy of this lynching is not just the death of this man, 
but that no one was convicted of a crime. Not one person did one day of jail time out of those 50 people who brutally killed that man. That should not be. Governments need to be held account, accountable, held to account for failures like that. And it's right for citizens to insist on that in any of a variety of ways. Third, it's never right for a governing authority to cite this passage to get citizens to do what they want. It's never right for governing authorities to cite this passage to get citizens to do what they want. There's a long history of this passage being used by governments to support policies like apartheid in South Africa or slavery in this country or other things here and in other places. But this passage, let's remember, is not written to governing authorities. It's written to individual Christians. Fourth, when submitting to the state requires disobeying God, we must obey God rather than the state. Now, this raises many questions, doesn't it? How do we respond to injustice in a society? How do we respond to a government that acts unjustly? How do we respond if it's our government? How do we respond if we live here but some other government is, is doing that? These are complex questions. They go way beyond what we can address here today. But I, I want to just point you to a quote that can help get us started. One person who thought a great deal about these things was Martin Luther King Jr. And as I was preparing for this message, I pinged Jordan Lawrence, an expert in constitutional law, and I just asked him for his thoughts. And some of what you're hearing here, he helped clarify for me. And he pointed me to Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham jail. And, and I found this quote helpful. And so I just want to pass this along to you. In the sermon follow-up, the link, the, this quote will be there and also the link to the whole letter will be there. And if you've never read that letter, I want to encourage you to read it. But listen to these words. I think this is a thoughtful reflection on Romans 13. One may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. I would be the first to advocate obeying just laws. One has not only a legal, but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Did you notice in the passage it says that we're to, to be subject to the governing authorities for the sake of conscience? Well, that's what he's talking about here. There's not only a legal, but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. Now, what is the difference between the two? How does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law law. I submit that an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and who willingly accepts the penalty of imprisonment in order to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing 
the highest respect for the law. So what he's saying is, if you live in a time when you want to get on a bus and white people get to sit in the front and black people have to sit in the back, that's an unjust law. And if you're willing to accept the consequence of breaking that law, it's a higher respect to disobey that law, a higher respect for the highest law, the law of God, than to obey that law. What he's saying is his respect for God's authority, for God's moral law, was what was guiding him and what should guide us as to what laws to obey and what, if any, and what times to break them. That must guide us. So we must know God's word. This is our authority. We must know God's standards. We must know God's ways. And we must hear this morning God's word to us. Be honorable citizens. How? By submitting to governing authorities in a way that honors God. We honor God by living that way and by always remembering that the government that we long for isn't in Washington, D.C. It's not the one being offered by the Democrats or the Republicans. No human government is perfectly just. But don't worry. No one's getting away with anything. Perfect justice will be done. It will arrive with King Jesus and the government that's on his shoulders. Jesus, who bore our injustices, who bore our rebellion against the just authority of God in our lives so that we could be pardoned by the King of kings, the King of all, the ruler of all. He's coming back. You know, our hope, it's not in the 2020 election. It's when the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Let's honor the governing authorities. Let's keep our hope in the right place. And until then, three questions. Ponder these questions. Let God's word work in our hearts and minds. First, are there ways you need to change in order to show honor and respect to governing authorities? What is God showing you about your attitudes, about the way you're living? Is change needed? Is repentance needed? A new direction, a new course. Second, Are there ways you are being called to courageously work for change within our governing system? Are there ways you are being called to courageously work for change within our governing system? I I would encourage you, if you sense that, and you're not quite sure what to do, if you're a college student, a younger person, you're thinking about that, Talk to Jordan Lawrence, talk to Ann Buwalda, longtime members of our church who have given their lives and their vocations to advocating for change within our governing system. They've been wonderful examples of that. Third, 
Are there ways you're being called to resist or disobey an authority in order to obey God? God's word lays claim to all these things in our lives. I'd like to invite the band to come up, please. And as they do, I just want to tell you how this passage has been working in my heart as I was just meditating on this, working on this this week. I just realized, you know, my default sort of emotion and feeling toward government and our government is one of complaining. I remember moving here 20 years ago from Southern California, and, you know, every city has its own sort of flavor and the flavor of this city is so infused with the federal government. And I've complained about just the prominence of politics and why is everything I have to do with the federal government and who did this, who's about to do that, and the election's already started, it's two years away, and oh no. And I just found this attitude in me. And the Holy Spirit was working through these words. And I realized government, no, it's not a perfect government. But it's a gift. And what's the alternative? And I'm so grateful to live in a place where there is a functioning government. And it began to transform my complaining into thanksgiving. And so I thought this morning, as we prepare to sing to our king, let's all stand together. And before we sing, I just want to pray. You know, I hope, I hope you're praying for your governing officials regularly and something that we're called to do. And often when we pray for our governing officials, we make petitions. We might, we might even be complaining about things that they're doing in our prayers or making laments about things that they're doing or asking for this or asking for that. I just want to offer a pastoral prayer of thanksgiving for governing authorities this morning. So join me. Let's pray. God, you are the governing authority. You're the king. You are our king. And we acknowledge your authority in our lives this morning. And we acknowledge the authority of these words in Romans 13, 1 to 7. And we thank you this morning for the blessing of governing authorities, of governing officials. God, in response to the rebellion in the garden, you could have abandoned the world to anarchy, and you didn't. You could have abandoned the world to mob rule, survival of the fittest, jungle atmosphere, and you didn't. We thank you for raising up your servants, your ministers, to promote order and peace and justice around the world and in this nation. Father, we acknowledge this morning, we know no one does this perfectly, and we couldn't and wouldn't either. But we thank you for the efforts of those who are giving their lives to govern and rule and watch over us. We thank you for the society that we live in here today. Thank you that this nation is peaceful enough and orderly enough that millions of people that don't live here would love to live here. Father, why are we here? 
Why are we here under this government? Why aren't we living under a government in North Korea or Venezuela that we would do anything to escape? Why have we been so blessed to be here? We cannot explain this, but we want you to receive a thank you note from us this morning. We are humbled. We're not better than anybody else. We don't deserve this, but we thank you for it. We thank you this morning for judges, for police officers. We thank you for our military. We thank you for meat inspectors and TSA workers and so many more governing authorities. We thank you for people who are quietly toiling in tedious obscurity for the good of people like us. Oh, Father, when we encounter governing officials, may we be respectful to them. May we be grateful to them. They probably don't hear thank you very often. May they hear it from us. And most of all, Father, we thank you for King Jesus. We thank you for the one who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We thank you for the government that's on his shoulder and of its increase and of peace. There will be no end. And of that king and of that kingdom, it's worth singing. So we thank you for the gift of his kingdom, for bringing us into it. And we want to bring our praise to him now. Amen.